The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you think this sermon and this afternoon's is for you, you're right. (laughs) Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. I'd like to uh, read to you, I've read this to you before a few years ago, but it's the obituary of a 79-year-old woman by the name of Dolores Aguilar. It was recorded in the Vallejo, California Times-Herald in August 2008. It was submitted by one of her daughters, Dolores Aguilar. Born in New Mexico, August 7, 1929, died August 22, 2008. She'll be met in the afterlife by her husband Raymond, her son Paul Jr., and daughter Ruby. Dolores had no hobbies. She made no contribution to society and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say that her presence will not be missed by many, and very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores, and amongst ourselves, we will remember her in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we'll think of those times too. But I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will only really miss what we never had. A good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she's finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family that she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and great-grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. Bitterness 
is a defiling, corrosive sin that leaves a wake of destruction in its path. And your first response might be, what a, what a terrible obituary for a daughter to write. And what I want to say is, what a terrible life that would lead a daughter to write that obituary. And so we're going to talk today about a biblical theological uh, look at bitterness. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I wish you were still in Arizona or Florida or somewhere else other than here because Daniel is so much more positive and cheerful. But I want to say that it's important and you should know, I've, I've preached this sermon. This is the third Lord's Day in a row that I've preached this sermon. And every time, we'll see about today, the previous two times, God has used it with great effect in the lives of the people that were there. And the question is, is, is he going to use it with great effect in your life? I'm just going to say right out of the gate that bitterness is not one of those sins that we like to, to ad, ad, admit to. Okay. We, we're, we're okay with saying things like, you know, I know there's a little bit of pride in my heart, which that's not even true. Take out the word little bit. All right? But there's stuff that, we, that we'll admit to because, you know what, I mean, after all, nobody's perfect. This is the way that we talk about ourselves and about our sin. Nobody's perfect. And uh, by the way, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And, and we have all of these ways of talking to, in order to minimize our sin. But if, if, if you were to have a conversation with somebody and they were to say, so what do you struggle with? Very rarely would somebody say, I actually am eaten up with the cancer of bitterness. I hate people. That's not what we're going to typically say. And yet, it is pervasively common. And so we're going we're gonna to pray Psalm 139 for ourselves. Search my heart, O God. Try me. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Right? I want to know, am I a bitter person? I want to know because, because the text that we read actually says some pretty terrible things about bitter roots. And so I want to know, and I want to know in order that I might seek the Lord and seek his grace in a new and fresh way and have that root of bitterness ripped out of my heart. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this word bitter. First, the word bitter can just simply be used in sort of a a non-figurative way that just refers to something that causes a sharp or acrid taste or experience. Okay, so 
By the way, this word uh, used this way, bitter used this way, is used pervasively throughout the Bible. Let me just give you one example that will completely suffice. Exodus 15, 23, when they came to Marah, which means bitter, they could not drink the waters of Marah, bitter, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. All right, so you, you get the, I mean, one passage will do, right? And so the idea is, is there is a, something that's accurate. It's, it, is a, it is a bitter taste or bitter experience. Other times, the word bitter can be used figuratively to talk about extreme grief or even regret. Bible's full of these uses as well. Naomi returns to her homeland. Ruth 1.20, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Marah, which means bitter. For the hand of the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? And so, call me bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Severe grief. By the way, Job will use this term like this a multitude of times. One example, Job 10.1, I loathe my life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Here, the bitterness of which Job is, is talking about is, is the extreme grief, the pain that he has endured and was enduring. In uh, Matthew chapter 26, our Lord Jesus tells Peter that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And of course, Peter, P- Peter thought that was unfathomable. These other slouches will deny you, but not me. I've got my act together. I'm strong. I'm, I'm, I'm loyal. I'm with you, Lord. And then, of course, Peter, Peter caves. Not with some brutish, overly muscular Roman soldier, but with a servant girl. And then we read this. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Do you know that kind of bitterness? I'm guessing that all of us here, to one degree or another, know that kind of bitterness of soul. We know what it is to weep bitterly. We know what it is to feel the pain of regret or grief. But there's another use of the word bitter that's also figurative, but it refers 
not to severe grief or regret, but rather it refers to animosity, anger, harshness, or even resentment. In fact, if you look up this use of the word throughout Scripture, you will find that it's frequently uh, associated with the idea of anger or hatred. And so one lexicon says uh, of this word, it's to have bitter resentment or even hatred towards somebody else. So in Scripture, bitterness, anger, and hatred are all related sins. So listen to these texts. James 3.14, if you have bitter jealousy, notice not just jealousy, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. And what I want to point out here in this text is that James says, so if, if you have bitter jealousy, that is, there is a, a, a rivalry in your heart that is driven by an animosity towards somebody else, and you have selfish ambition, he turns around and he says this, he says, do not be arrogant and so, lie as, so as to lie against the truth. Why would he say that? Well, because these are ugly sins that we don't like to admit. And it's very easy for us to say, that's not me. I don't do that. I'm a nice guy. People like me. Doggone it, I like myself. James says, don't lie against the truth in your arrogance. And then he says something that makes it even worse. He says that this kind of wisdom, right? So bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that kind of wisdom doesn't come down from above, but rather it is the kind of wisdom that comes up from the earth. And he says it's, it's, it's earthly, it's natural. And he says, and it's demonic, Okay, so whatever you think right now about bitterness, what I want to tell you is that it is demonic. Paul says in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, now notice these other sins that are connected. Let all bitterness, all bitterness, not just unjustified bitterness, all bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. Do you think all those words are related at one, in one way or another? And so Paul says, let all bitterness, along with all the other attendant sins, let it be put away from you. Colossians 3.19, husbands, do not be embittered against your wives. Mm. Wow. Husbands. Okay, so let's, let's be uh, equal opportunity offender here. Um, husbands, don't be embittered against your wife. Wives, 
Don't be embittered against your husband. Parents, don't be embittered against your children. Children, don't be embittered against your parents. Legitimate application? Or is it okay for parents to be embittered against their children? Legitimate application. But what I want to point out is that what Paul says is husbands. I know I I heard you preach that, but I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember what you said. (laughs) I remember it was good, though. It was really good. (laughs) So this is, this is like serious stuff, right? Hebrews 12, 15, we just read it. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We're going to dig into this. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So Robert Jones, who's a biblical counselor, he says, there's nothing uglier than bitterness. That inner anger lodged deep in the heart, sometimes known only to the bitter person, and is all-seeing God. Bitterness is a settled anger. The kind that does not merely react to someone's offense, but forms a more general and global animosity against the offender himself. Anger responds to an incident. Quote, I'm angry about what you did. Bitterness goes deeper to form an attitude, a settled stance or posture against the perpetrator. Quote, I'm bitter at you because you are an evil person. Then Robert Jones says, the incident becomes almost secondary. Somebody one time defined bitterness as that state where you began with anger, but now you're bitter and you don't even remember what you were originally angry about. Hmm. So bitterness, think of it this way. Bitterness is like a, it's like a low-grade fever. It's just always there. Okay? It's always there. Compromising your immune system, low-grade fever. Every once in a while, it spikes. Manifests itself. Shows its ugly head. And so here's the problem with bitterness, is that bitterness is something that actually works its way into our hearts in such a way that now it forms the lens by which we view the other person and, by the way, everything else. So it's something that that worms its way into our hearts and then ends up influencing us in such a way that now everything is, is looked at through that lens of bitterness. Bitterness destroys, first of all, the bitter person. Now, you're going to hear people say that when you forgive other people and let go of bitterness, that that's, um, that's for you, okay? okay? I want to say that that can't be your motive, 
It sounds good. Sounds good. I preached this in a different state, and a guy came up to me, and he says, so what you're saying is that, that forgiving and letting go of bitterness is really for, for me. Like, I didn't say that. He says, well, but I can kind of take that away. I'm like, I don't think so. So I shattered his pop psychology in like 40 seconds. You have to understand that that the call to put off bitterness is not first and foremost for you. It is first and foremost for the glory of the God who tells you to do it. And it also is for the other person. If they're repentant. And then you get the benefit. You've heard it said that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Okay? Well, that's actually true. Okay? That's actually true. But here's the thing is that bitterness doesn't just affect me. Bitterness actually affects everybody around me. But it rarely affects the person I'm bitter at. Isn't it funny how that happens? That bitter, corrosive contagion spreads, but the person that you're bitter at, they're just like, they're grumpy. Nancy... DeMoss writes, she relays the corrosive bitterness that comes from unforgiveness, and she quotes from this letter that was written by a man whose father had left him when he was two years old. Before I read the letter, let me just say, there are really bad things that happen to people, and there are really painful things that happen to people. And we're not minimizing the magnitude of a person's pain. And we're not minimizing the magnitude of the sins that have been committed against that person. But what I am telling you is that bitterness is not the option. So Nancy DeMoss speaks about this man, quotes his letter. Father left when he was two. The last few lines, she says, tell the story. Quote, the hatred I carried from my daddy wrecked my first marriage, and is threatening my second. I am a shell of a person. I don't have any close relationships. So bitterness destroys not only the bitter person, but it also destroys everybody else around them. So where does bitterness come from? I'm going to say that there's, there's three main, this isn't exhaustive, you could think of others, I'm sure, but there's three main uh, sources from where bitterness comes, and the first, I think, is by far the primary, and it is from unforgiveness. Okay? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, I would argue, is the primary source of all bitterness. And so, bitterness is the result of not forgiving somebody who has sinned against me. So, somebody sins against me, and maybe it's grievous, maybe it's small, okay? Somebody sins against me, and they hurt me, okay? 
there's real hurt in this world. We live in a fallen world. People do bad stuff to each other, okay? So we're not minimizing that for the second time. But somebody sins against me, somebody hurts me, and then that hurt becomes a wound that I start carrying around with me. And that wound, I, I actually nurse that wound. And I make sure that that wound stays nice and open. And so as I carry about this wound, then it begins to fester. Maybe the person asks for forgiveness. Maybe they don't. Maybe the hurt is deep and is real. Maybe it is only perceived, but once that hurt becomes a wound that's carried around and, and, and then kept open, it begins to consume us. It begins to even define us. And then it clouds the way Not only I see that person, but it begins to cloud everything else. So last week, I'm sitting there, and I'm doing my devotions, and I'm in Psalm 73, and I hear this. Read this. When my heart was embittered, I was pierced within. Bitter heart. Pierced within, wounded. Then, as a result, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. That's what Asaph says. So my heart was embittered, I was pierced, and then I became senseless and ignorant, and I became like a beast before you. In other words, the, 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 the experience of being embittered became so consuming, so pervasive, so comprehensive, that it changed my ability to think It changed my ability to understand, and it changed my ability to even be able to relate to God. Sometimes bitterness comes just because of resentment that we have against somebody. Maybe that person didn't actually sin against me in some sort of overt way like we think of sinning but but maybe that person has just profoundly disappointed me you know what he is not the man i married He's twice the man that he used to be. (laughs) I buy his pants. I know that he's twice the man he used to be. He was so loving, so sweet. He wooed me. And now, now he just grunts. As long as I feed him on time, everything is okay. 
that's not the guy that I want, or that's not the woman I married. If I'd have known that the preacher should have said to you, Cruella DeVille, take this man to be your lawfully wedded wife, I'd have run. It's not the woman I wanted. It's not the woman I thought I was getting. I'm beginning to suspect that during our betrothal period, that all of that food that she claimed to make was actually just takeout. I know, I know she hired a housekeeper because the house has never been as clean as it was back then. What a disappointment. Maybe you raise that kid and you work hard with them and they get good grades and you've got grand plans. And that kid gets accepted into, into Stanford and you're like, my, I'm going to get to put one of them license plate frames on my car. My kid goes to Stanford, okay? Your kid goes to community college. My kid goes to Stanford. And, oh, man, the, the, the pride, oh, maybe law school, maybe law school. And then the guy comes and says, you know what? I'm not going to Stanford, Dad. What do you mean? Oh, UCLA? All right, we'll take second best. No, I'm not going to college. What do you mean you're not going to college? I want to do something else. Like what? I want to play my guitar and put my case out on Van Ness Boulevard in San Francisco. <laughs> and I want, to sing, I want to sing hippie songs and make my living that way. Maybe it's a friend that lets you down. Someone that you, that you thought was loyal to you. Somebody who you thought 25 years of friendship meant something. And then all of a sudden, they turn. And you don't know why. And you feel a sense of resentment. That kind of disappointment with people can easily and quickly morph into bitterness. There's one more. This isn't our topic today, so we're not gonna, we're, I'm not going to spend any time on this, and maybe it's a totally different sermon, but sometimes bitterness comes because of resentment towards God. Maybe experienced a loss. Maybe something happened in your life. You lost your health. By the way, young people, have some pity on the older people around you. Losing your health is a devastating thing. 
Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe your dream job gets taken away. Maybe, maybe the dream that you had just simply dies. And you think to yourself, God could have done otherwise. And he didn't. We can become bitter with God. By the way, Job became bitter with God. If you don't believe me, reread the book of Job slowly. You read about Job's complaints against God, it comes from a heart of bitterness. Not just the grief of his soul, but now the bitterness of his soul. And so let me just cut to the chase and say, it's never ever right to be disappointed or angry with God. Never right. Years ago when I was in seminary, see, here I go, preaching this part, and I wasn't supposed to, but here we go. So, when I was in seminary, there was a book. It was super popular, sold over a quarter million copies by the time I got it. Philip Yancey, Disappointment with God. And he talks about being angry with God and disappointed with God. And, 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 and what I want to say is this, is that... If God is good and he's all wise and he's sovereign and he knows better than us and he really does cause all things to work together for good and, and, and in the day of, of shalom, rejoice, right? In the day of calamity, consider God has made the one just as he made the other. If you have resentment against God, I'm going to warn you, that's not safe. It really is not safe. Here's here's the reason why. God is always right. We rarely are. And when we are right, it's only because we agree with God. All right, we'll preach that another day. So how can I know that I'm bitter? So bitterness is just hard to acknowledge. It's an ugly sin. I don't want to see myself as ugly. I don't like that. Now, Lou Priolo actually gives us the following evidence of being a bitter person. So you've heard of um, Jeff Foxworthy, right? Um, You might be a redneck if, okay? So what we're going to do is you might be bitter if. But the difference is is that these aren't going to be funny. I might be a bitter person if... I am contentious. Bitter people are not peacemakers. Bitter people are contentious people. What is being a contentious person? An attitude of opposition or a pattern of strife and conflict that negatively impacts relationships. So, in this life, we live in a fallen world, right? Those of you who are married, are you married to a sinner? Did you produce sinners? Okay. And what do sinners do? They sin. Okay. So what are the chances that somebody that's a sinner, even your spouse, is going to sin against you? It's 100%. And not like 100% once in your marriage. Okay. It's like 100% like every day. Okay, so 
In other words, living in a fallen world, conflict is unavoidable. Right? Conflict is unavoidable. The bitter person, though, is a conflict magnet. A healthy person actually wants reconciliation. They, they don't like conflict. They want reconciliation. The bitter person is totally at home with conflict. I might be a bitter person if I have difficulty in resolving conflicts. So for a bitter person, conflict comes easy. That's true. (laughs) But resolution does not come easy. In fact, the bitter person has a whole string of unresolved conflicts in their life. I might be a bitter person if I isolate myself and keep my distance from others. This is, this is no joke. I had a guy that came up to me, same state, unnamed. And he said, after I, after I preached this part, he said, I'm an isolationist. Okay, he says, I I mean, I just figure that for my sake and everybody else's sake that I'm such a contentious person that I just need to stay away from people. I think you missed something. I think you missed something. Have you you ever considered, and I I quoted this to him, Proverbs 18.1, the one who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all sound wisdom. I said, so by isolating yourself as under the guise of not wanting to be in conflict, you're just making excuses. Okay? So for those of you who do the silent treatment, keep yourself distant, you're selfish. And you use it as an excuse And you're pursuing your own desire and you're raging against all sound wisdom. In a sense, the bitter person is a master at Cold War tactics. I might be a bitter person if I use harsh, caustic speech towards others. Mm. Harsh, caustic speech towards others. The speech of a bitter person is either heavily seasoned with or predominated by critical speech because at heart, the bitter person is a judgmental person. Robert Jones pulls no punches. He says, if we become bitter, we will be assuming God's role as judge. What role do we play when we remain bitter against someone? We're functioning as a judge. We assess the evidence against somebody, render a verdict, declare him guilty. 
No wonder the Apostle James challenges our judgmentalism. Quote, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James 4.12. Bitter people grab the throne of the one lawgiver and judge. I might be a bitter person if I'm overly sensitive to anything that remotely appears to be an offensive front or a slight. Bitter people are notoriously thin-skinned people. They, they, are, they are architects of, 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 of unbelievable high degree because they can take little tiny molehills and turn them into massive mountains. And so everything, what did you mean by that? You had a look on your face. They become, they become the grand interpreter of all looks, of all tones. You know, I mean, what you said was okay, but ah, the way you said it, you offended me. Okay? Now, here's the amazing thing. The bitter person does not have anywhere within their vocabulary, love covers a multitude of sins. Their vocabulary is bitterness counts each and every sin. Last one. Aren't you glad? I might be a bitter person if I have a great memory. Now, you're like, oh, whoo, good. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. I'm good. Off the hook. A-okay. What was your name again? Um, It's not what I'm talking about. A bitter person may not remember what they had for breakfast, but they certainly remember that offense against them in 1997. And they remember it with incredible detail. In fact, the vividness of their recounting is astonishing. I've often said, and it's, 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 it's really, it's not a joke, When you sit down with a couple and they begin unfolding their problem and they start in the very year that they were married, you've got bitterness. Well, in 1987, you know what she said to me? So, what's the dangerous, what's the danger of being a bitter person? Well, here here it is, and we'll, we'll, I didn't get as far as I thought, so... Um, but don't be bitter about it. (laughs) Here's the danger of being a bitter person. The text tells us, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, right? So guess what that means? Pursue peace with all men. In the Greek, you know what it means? Pursue peace with all men. Is that a mystery? Is that hard to understand? Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which, the holiness, no one will see the Lord. So after that, after that um, command, then you get this. See to it, grammar matters, seeing to it, 
that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So the first call to be on guard is as you pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one sees the Lord, you are to be looking out, you're to be watching as you're pursuing peace that you don't come short of the grace of God. The second call is related. Writer says, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And so here's, here's the way the passage works. Pursue peace with all men, and the holiness without which no one sees the Lord. And this is how you do it, by actually watching out, looking out to make sure that we don't fall short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up in us, causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. And so, what, what is this root of bitterness? I'm going to tell you that it is not simply an attitude of bitterness. This language comes directly from the Septuagint in Deuteronomy 29, and the bitter root is not an attitude, it's a person. We'll look at that this afternoon just to start that way. But let me just, let me just say that a bitter person, first of all, is a bitter or toxic or poisonous person. And that toxic, poisonous, bitter root of a person cuts off from the grace of God. What? Yeah. Think of it this way. Bitterness clogs the arteries of grace. What's one, of the, what's one of the most significant ways that God actually conveys and speaks grace to you? It's, it's in showing you mercy and in forgiving your sins, right? Right? So, so next... Next Lord's Day, as we wrap up our conference, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do this in remembrance of him because his shedding, the shedding of his blood is for the remission of our sins. It's a precious gift. If I'm a bitter person, I'm cutting myself off from the grace of God. That conduit that brings grace to my life is being, is being clogged up by my bitterness. Bitterness cuts us off from the grace of God because bitterness declares, never out loud, never out loud, but bitterness declares, I don't need your forgiveness. Why would I say that? Doesn't Jesus teach us to pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those 
who trespass against us. So out of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, there's only one that Jesus actually then uh, amplifies after he teaches the disciples to pray, and that is forgiveness. If you do not forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. You know what? Some of you have an immediate impulse right now. I've got to figure that out theologically. How can I square that with eternal security? And you know what? I want to tell you, just let it sit on you for a minute. When Jesus gives this parable, we'll read it this afternoon. So there'll be like three of you this afternoon because you're like, okay, well, this is enough. But I hope that actually, I hope that actually you will have enough care and concern for your own soul that you'll want to hear what the remedy for bitterness is. Jesus actually tells a parable and he says, so there's this guy and he owes this insurmountable amount of money. And he goes to the, the, the king, and, and the king says, okay, well, you're going to be thrown into a debtor's prison until you pay back every penny. Well, how long will that take? Well, forever. It's insurmountable. He can't pay it back. He falls down. He pleads for mercy. I'll pay back every penny, I promise. And what, is the, what does the master do? Forgives him. Forgives him. Wipes away the debt. And so here he is, free man, walks out, and he sees a guy that owes him, not 10 bucks, by the way, but about a third of a year's income, right? So not a, not a tiny amount, but what about compared to the amount that he was just forgiven? Minuscule. He sees that guy, he walks over, he grabs him by the neck, and he says, you're going to pay up every penny. And are going to go to debtor's prison until you do. The other servants are aghast knowing how much he'd just been forgiven. And they go and they tell the king. And the king says, bring him here. And though he says, didn't I forgive you of this insurmountable amount? And could you not actually show the same mercy that you just received to your fellow servant? Therefore, bind that man hand and foot. Cast him into outer darkness until he pays up every last cent. How long is it going to take him to pay up every last cent? And the answer is Forever. And then Jesus says these words. These are in red. Therefore, will my heavenly father do to every one of you who does not forgive his brother from the heart. Now, I don't think that red letters are more important than black letters. It's all the inspired word of God. I just said that. These are the words of Jesus. Paul says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as, just as, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So when I'm bitter and I'm holding on, I am saying, I don't need God's forgiveness so bad that I'm willing to let this go. I want to tell you, you hold on to that until your dying day, you'll go to hell. The bitter person doesn't think that he needs divine mercy. Why? Because To the one who shows mercy, he'll receive mercy. James 4 tells us, and mercy triumphs over judgment. 
And so if I'm bitter, I'm like, no mercy for you. What I'm saying is, I don't need it either. And so the bitter person cuts themselves off from the grace of God. And I want to tell you, it, it is serious. I'm over time, but let's just finish this part. It springs up and it causes trouble. The bitter person is a troublemaker. Here's the the term that my mama would have used was a pot stirrer. Actually, my mama had a different way of saying it that's not appropriate in church. Okay? The bitter person. (laughs) Right, Ariel? Okay. The bitter person is a troublemaker. They're a pot stirrer. They spring up, they cause trouble. They're not a thankful person. They're not an encouraging person. They're not a helpful person. They're a troublemaker. The bitter person is the one that you walk around eggshells at Thanksgiving because you never know what in the world is going to set them off. And then here's the last one. And many are defiled. And many are defiled. Bitterness is corrosive and contagious. I'm going to give you the key to raising bitter children. Okay? Write this down. You might want to, you might want to know this. Be a bitter spouse. And you will teach your kids to be bitter children who become bitter adults. That bitter root defiles many. Some of you were raised in homes where there was so much bitterness and so much animosity and, and, and so much contention in the home that there was something inside of you that just said, when, when I grow up, when I'm a spouse, when I'm a mom, when I'm a dad, I am not going to be like that. And now, all of a sudden, you find yourself in a default position of being just like that. Bitterness is a cancer that will eat you alive. And it is an ugly sin. And it leads to obituaries like Dolores Aguilar's. It spreads, it corrupts, it obstructs the grace of God in our lives and the lives of others. And so this afternoon, we're going to look at how to uproot the bitter root. But here's, here's where we need to close. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? If you think you're too pious to be bitter, you're probably bitter and a hypocrite. 
Is it me? Show me. I want to know. I don't, I don't want to infect my loved ones. I don't want to be cut off from the grace of God. I don't want to drag my Savior's name through the mud. The kids are going to make an assessment about the Savior you profess by whether you're a forgiving person or whether you are an unforgiving, bitter person. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. Think about this incredibly uncomfortable, painful sermon as going to the doctors after you've just had an MRI. And they say, you got a brain tumor. And what are you going to do? Skip on out like nothing's wrong? Or deal with it for the sake of your soul and the sake of those around you? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take the scalpel of your word and you would use it in a way that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. Lord, we, we, we don't want to be people who don't forgive. We don't want to be people who are bitter and corrosive. And so we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit even now. In Christ's name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.